0: Welcome to Banking Weekly from the Financial Times with me, Patrick Jenkins. Joining me in the studio today are Alia Ram, our technology correspondent, and also Nick McGaw, our retail banking correspondent. We're joined down the line from Sydney, Australia, by Jamie Smith, our Australian correspondent. This week, we'll be discussing the Australian banking sector as another round of scandal seems to hit the sector. Secondly, a look at Adyen, the new hip fintech that has just floated. And finally, a look at the acquisition of Virgin Money by CYBG. Firstly, though, to Australia, and we're joined by Jamie Smith in Sydney, as I say. Jamie, thanks very much for joining us. We've got another example of a brewing scandal that you've been reporting on, the surprise resignation of Robert Priestley, who has a number of roles. He's a senior financier in Australia, connected to a kind of long-running probe into the listing of shares by ANZ. Tell us a little bit about what's been going on here.
1: Well, that's right. So today, Robert Priestley stood down as a director on the ASX, the Stock Exchange down here in Australia, and the Future Fund, the Sovereign Wealth Fund of Australia. And really, the background to this is that the ACCC, the competition watchdog, has for the last two years been conducting an inquiry into a share placement, which ANZ Bank did in 2015. There were three banks which were the joint underwriters of this. There was Citi, Deutsche and J.P. Morgan. And what has happened is that the ACCC investigated and is alleging that these banks colluded in the way that the shares, which were not taken up to the placing, and the banks had to take them on themselves, in the way they disposed of these shares. So it has launched prosecutions against Citi, Deutsche Bank and ANZ, but ironically, JP. Morgan is not being prosecuted, and it's been reported that it has received immunity in this case, and that's because it has cooperated with the authorities and self-reported this issue itself. So Mr. Priestley has stood down from these rules because these two particular institutions, the Future Fund and ASX, are sort of institutions where you know they've got to be above any sort of impropriety although there is, of course, no suggestion that Mr Priestley himself has been involved in impropriety, and that's because he hasn't actually been charged with any offence.
0: And a third role that he has, if I'm right, is chairing J.P. Morgan's operations in the region. Is that in any way connected to this?
1: Well, yes, because he, at the time of the share placement of ANZ, he was actually the chief executive of J.P. Morgan Australia. And what we're seeing in this case is that the... Country heads of City and Deutsche are both facing uh, criminal prosecution on cartel charges, as well as the three banks, ANZ, City and Deutsche, as well as several other executives. So, in a sense, Mr. Priestley was country head of JP Morgan at the time. But it looks like, because there's been a self reporting by JP Morgan and that they're cooperating with the competition authorities in this case, that he's not going to face any prosecution, neither will the bank. But certainly he was in this role with JP Morgan at the time that the share placement took place. And indeed, he is staying on as chairman of JP Morgan Australia.
0: Put this all in a broader context because this sounds a fairly intricate scandal to have hit the country but for many years of course Australia's banks were booming right through and beyond the financial crisis that gripped much of the world and also was fairly scandal free as well but that's all changed in the last year maybe.
1: Well, that's right. You know, Australian banks have been amongst the most profitable in the world over the last decade since the financial crisis. And they really didn't suffer in the same way that banks did in other regions. Part of that is because there's been a very strong economy here. And also because none of them crashed during the crisis, there hasn't been as much scrutiny from regulators onto the banks. So they've really had a great profitable sort of run. But what's really happened over the past couple of years is that we've seen some really damaging public scandals emerge. These have ranged from a money laundering scandal involving Commonwealth Bank of Australia, which is Australia's largest bank. And it actually in the last month has been fined $700 million, the largest ever fine lodged against a bank in Australia. We've also had an inquiry into the rigging of the benchmark interest rate here. We had three of the banks making settlements with the regulators. And what really happened is that you've just had this public outcry growing over the last couple of years, a lot of political focus put on the banking sector. So the government was very keen not to call a public inquiry into the banks and it fought against it for up to two years. Against opposition calls in the Parliament. But eventually it caved in at the end of last year and it called what's called a Royal Commission inquiry into the banks. And what that is, that's a year long investigation held in public. The bank executives are dragged in front of well trained lawyers who ask them extremely difficult questions. And we've seen other scandals emerging from that. And really a litany of bad behaviour has been exposed in the public arena. And that led earlier this year to the resignations of AMP's chairman and chief executive, Catherine Brenner and Craig Meller. That was a scandal over charging fees to customers for no service. And it emerged in that public inquiry that AMP had lied to the regulator 20 times. So really, you've just had this huge change in the regulatory and government focus on the banking sector. So it's a tough time for the banks in Australia, and that's
0: quite a change
1: from the past.
0: It sounds like they've got a difficult time ahead. Thanks for the update, Jamie. Thank you. Let's move on to our second item and a look outside the banking sphere, actually, to a payments company called Adyen, which is a fintech which floated last week and highlighted really how cool these types of companies are compared to boring old banks. I think you wrote on the day of the flotation, Alia, that this company was worth more than Comets Bank. Germany's second biggest bank, 13 billion euros at the time. Pretty incredible story of how much value investors attach to these types of companies. Tell us a little bit about Adyen, first of all, and why people seem to like it so much.
2: So what Adyen does is basically sit between different payment providers and merchants, so they can negotiate regulations and complexity in different markets. And they strike the deals with payment providers, so Visa and Mastercard in the U.S. or Union Pay in China, even PayPal. They accept payments from different payment providers for merchants, and they've become really popular with big multinationals that have customers all over the world. and they kind of take in all the complexity of gateways and merchant acquirers and payment processes. And they do the whole thing for you if you're eBay or Uber and Airbnb, which are a few of their customers.
0: So it's basically that platform that sits on retailers' websites taking payment from us as customers in a way that PayPal might do. They're kind of direct competitor in many ways, aren't they, to PayPal?
2: They are in some ways, but the way in which they're different is that they will accept payments from any provider, including PayPal. So they toppled a 15-year partnership between eBay and PayPal to become eBay's main payments provider. And part of the reason they did that is because they do what PayPal does and they also take payments from any provider.
0: And presumably they do it more efficiently and maybe cheaper than others.
2: I think the main thing that they offer is a solution for the complexity and bureaucracy of the whole thing. They offer merchants the chance to just have one relationship, which is with Adyen. And then Adyen goes away and figures out how it will resolve the different relationships with payment providers in different countries.
0: Now, it's interesting. We sometimes talk about fintech on Banking Weekly, but there's a particular buzz around payments based fintechs at the moment, isn't there? We saw a Swedish payments business called iZettle sell for a couple of billion dollars to PayPal. I think that was a month or so ago, just as they were about to float themselves. Adding, in, as I say, doubled in value on the day that they listed last week. What is it about these types of companies that is so appealing?
2: Well, I think payments is just an incredibly complex area that's changed remarkably little over the past 40 years. So people in the fintech world often talk about the magnetic strip on credit cards in the US, which is the same as it was half a century ago, and is the same technology that was used in cassette tapes, (laughs) which we don't use anymore. You won't remember them. (laughs) (laughs) I actually do remember them. But yeah, it's been a long time since I've seen a cassette tape So as well as being a relatively unchanged market, it's also a massive market. So one of the early investors in Adyen, Jan Hammer, was saying that the payments market is equal to all transacted GDP, which means that there's opportunity for a number of different companies to get a slice of that pie.
0: And it's absolutely growing at a rapid rate. If you just think about our online retail activity and what we do in shops, I suppose, so much of it is moving away from cash and towards online payments in one form or another. I'm sure we'll see a lot more of these types of companies spring up and float. Thanks in the meantime for your thoughts on Adyen. Let's move on to our final story, and Virgin has done the deed. They've been sold to CYBG, otherwise known as Clydesdale and Yorkshire Banking Group. Nick, you've been writing about this from the first approach. No surprise in a way. What is interesting about the final deal that was done?
3: Well, I mean, there's a couple of things that are interesting with it. It's the third takeover of a British bank in the last 12 months. And it is, in cash equivalent terms, the biggest by quite a long way. But when you factor in how big Virgin's business actually is, it's much cheaper than the previous ones, which speaks to there's kind of two sides to this deal. There's a positive argument that's been put forward and there's quite a lot of support, I think, for CYBG's logic in taking on this business. But equally, the timing is partly to do with a sense that times are getting a bit tougher, for Challenger Banks. They've had a good run over the last couple of years, the sort of small and mid sized lenders. But things are getting a bit harder now. Competition's hotting up, costs are rising, and the economy is looking a little bit weaker, which has really kick started this sense of people thinking we really need to scale up.
0: You broke an interesting story as well last week about the Bank of England being very concerned about the way some credit card providers were accounting for their business. They didn't specifically mention Virgin, but you did in your story, because we suspect that there's concern among regulators about how aggressive they've been in basically forward counting their income from a lot of these 0% credit cards that they've been distributing. Tell us a little bit about that and also whether that's played into the ultimate price that you were talking about for the Virgin business. Was it knocked down as a result
3: of this? Yeah, well, I mean, this is something that people have been aware of and talking about for a while and is part of why Virgin shares were before the deal quite so cheap. Virgin's got a relatively large credit card business that, as you say, they've been growing quite aggressively in the last couple of years, mainly by offering people introductory rates, um, sometimes for a really long time. So they let you transfer your balance from existing credit cards, pay no interest on it for upwards of three years to try and smooth out their revenues over time from this. They will book expected future income from once that teaser rate runs out and recognise it as income now. That's a perfectly standard industry practice, but if you're very reliant on it, it is obviously quite risky if customers end up leaving earlier than you expected, not borrowing as much in future as you expect. And that's what the Bank of England is getting a bit worried about. They sent a letter around to the chiefs of every bank, all the major ones, earlier this month, basically warning that if people's assumptions are a bit too optimistic, what you could see is a sudden reversal of that previous income and steep losses.
0: And did Clydesdale take advantage of these concerns to knock down the price for the this, deal?
3: After the announcing on Monday, they made clear that they'd been very aware of this issue. They'd been talking to Virgin a lot about it. They also acknowledged that when this deal is completed, assuming it goes through probably the back half of this year, they're going to have to do a full review of the credit card book that they've acquired. And not in quite as many words, but acknowledge that there's a decent possibility that they might have to take a write down on the value of that credit card book. Which are certainly likely to have played into the relatively cheap price that they paid for Virgin. I think earlier in the negotiations, people were kind of expecting them to throw in a bit of a cash on top of the all share offer, but um, they've managed to get away without doing that.
0: Well, certainly one to watch. We'll come back to you for the full post mortem on that at the end of the year. Well, that's it for this week. All that's left for me to do is to thank Alia and Nick here in the studio and also Jamie Smith, who joined us from Sydney. Thank you for listening. Remember, you can keep up to date with all of the latest banking stories at ft.com slash banking. And don't forget, we're collecting feedback on all our podcasts. Thank you for your feedback so far. But if you'd like to offer some more, please go to ft.com slash podcast feedback, or follow the show notes at the end of this podcast. Banking Weekly was produced by Fiona Simon. Until next week, goodbye.